You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. Communities are built when people gather around shared values or purpose. For us, we gather to celebrate what Jesus has done for us and to encourage each other in our faith. We believe church is a gift, but how can we make it even better? We're going back to the basics as we explore what it means to do life together. Good morning. If you've got your Bibles with you, I'd invite you to take them out or get out your Bible app and go to Matthew 22. We're going to start at verse 34 and read verse, down through verse 40. There the writer of the gospel says this, When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. One of them, an expert in the religious law, tried to trap Jesus with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. The word of God for the people of God. I'm Pastor Jason, one of the pastors here at Schweitzer. And it's a joy to welcome you in worship today. And it's a joy to be here to share in this sermon. We're in a sermon series called Life Together. And one of the things that we recognize, both within this place, within our broader community, is that all of us have different tastes. We've got different ambitions. We've got different drives. We've got different things that attract us. We've got things, we have different things that repulse us. We are all very different. And yet, there's this this overwhelming sense within us, and <clears throat> I think within the broader community, that there ought to be places where we can be unified, where we can walk together, where we can come together, especially within the sense of a church, where we can come together and be on mission one with another. And so the question that is before us, the question that's really been uh, undergirding this whole sense of the sermon series with Life Together is this question. How is it that we can Knowing a sense of all of our variances, all of our differences, how is it that we can come together, that God can be in our midst, and God can lead us forward as one people, as one body? As I loved the whole sense of the song that the choir did. You know, God was leading a people. They talked about how God led a people, and they marched, and they walked, and they, they glorified God. How is it that God would ask us to walk into this world that we live in, in a unified sense? Well, that text that I just read for you from Matthew 20, 22 is when Jesus is in Jerusalem and he's in the temple. And there's a lot that can be said about how that text in and of itself can bring us to unity. The call to love God, to love one another, and to love ourselves. That if we attend to those things, there's a sense of unity that can flow. And yet, if you go back and you read the context, even those first two verses, verses 34 and 35, they speak to the reality that in the midst when Jesus spoke those words, there wasn't unity. There wasn't unity present in the, in the people who were in the conversation that Jesus was with. In fact, Jesus was in Jerusalem, and it would be the week in which he would go to the cross. 
If you go back and read in, in chapter 21, you'll see that Jesus entered Jerusalem and he expected to walk into the temple and find people praying. But instead of finding people at prayer, he found that the temple was full of business. And he's like, something is wrong with this picture. This is meant to be a house of prayer, and yet it's a, it's a house of merchandise. But more to the point, more to the point than what was really disturbing Jesus. And one of the reasons he comes back and he'll talk about the necessity for, for love being the law of what God expects of all of us. Is that in the places where all the stalls were for merchandise and everything else, those were places that had been set aside for those who were foreigners, those who were outsiders, those who couldn't go all the way in to the places that, that Israelites could go to and pray. And so what Jesus expected was a house of prayer, was a house where there was little prayer. And a lot of people who were drawn to God were shut out. They were excluded on the outside. And so <clears throat> when Jesus faces this question, what is the greatest of commandments? People really who are asking the question don't really want to know. But Jesus brings them back to this point. He says, if you really want to know what it's like to fulfill everything that God expects of us and to be a people that can fulfill it, you've got to love God and you've got to love one another. You've got to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Maybe... Uh, you hear that second point, love your neighbor, and you go, I wonder who my neighbor is. Well, the people who asked Jesus the question that day probably were not up in the Galilee region when Jesus talked about who one's neighbor is. A couple different moments when Jesus addressed this question, who is my neighbor? What is it to love my neighbor? In Matthew 5, we hear about Jesus sitting on a hillside, and he gives what we call the Sermon on the Mount. It's not really a mount, more like a hill. We probably have bigger mountains in the Ozark Mountains than what Jesus sat on and delivered that sermon on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. But he sat on this, this hill. He looked up to a bunch of people and he said, blessed are those. You know, you get all the blessings there. And then down a ways, Jesus said, you know, they say that it's okay to love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, I say, and he's the son of, son of God saying this. He says, I say, you need to love your enemy. Bless those who curse you. Jesus had this interesting picture about what it is to love those who are around you. One other time in Luke chapter 10, uh, somebody comes up to test Jesus. Because Luke says that he really wants to justify himself. Deep down in the inner psyche of a person is a desire. All of us have a desire to justify the sense that we're here. That we, that we exist, that we have a sense of needing things. How is it that we can have a sense of needing things? Where does that come from? There's a desire within our own psyche to have a sense of justification. It's a wrong-headed need, actually. I love what a, what a Catholic monk one time said. He said, I came to the realization that I don't need to justify my existence. I'm here as a gift. It's a gift of life. I, I don't need to justify the fact that I'm here. None of us do. We've been brought into this world and we've been given life as a gift. I need to receive it. But it's that sense of self-justification that 
was running hard within the minds of this, of this scholar. And so he came up to Jesus and he, he said, you know, what is it to keep the law? And then Jesus said, love God, love your neighbor. And he said, who is my neighbor? And that's when Jesus gave a parable, a parable of the Good Samaritan, about three different people who, who were going on a trip and they walked by somebody who had been abused and left for dead by the side of the road. And two of the people who were walking that way were religious people. You'd think religious people would stop, but they didn't. But the person who stopped and attended and gave mercy to the person who was abused was somebody who really could be an enemy of the person who was abused. It was a Samaritan. And the Good Samaritan becomes the hero of Jesus' story. The Good Samaritan is somebody who expresses, expresses love to somebody who may not even speak to him on a normal day when he's feeling really good. So Jesus has these images and he has these stories and he has this, this picture that he puts right out in front of us. You want to know what it is to love God? You want to know, know what it is to love your neighbors? And who is your neighbor? You've got you've to be merciful and gracious with everyone. And not just with everyone who's close to you. You've got to be good and merciful and gracious with people who are right next to you and with people who are all around the world from you. Because brothers and sisters, you know that today in the world in which we live, you can talk to somebody this afternoon who's halfway around the world from you right now. You can buy something on Amazon today that's made in China or Indonesia or Malaysia or South Africa. The call to love and who is our neighbor isn't just the person you're sitting beside, isn't the person you just live beside, but the call to love, your neighbor, extends in this huge wide circle that is global. It is global. How do we love our neighbors? Those who were asking Jesus questions, they were really troubled by that reality. Though they said that they knew the law, they didn't really want to follow the law. They had trouble loving Jesus, who was from Galilee. And Jesus reminded them of a couple things from the book of Leviticus when he said, to love your, the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love your neighbor. Because in Leviticus, God, in chapter 19, he, he has this summary of, of the Ten Commandments. And then there's this extrapolation of the Ten Commandments just a little bit further to say that, you know what that means? You've got to love your brothers and sisters, your fellow Israelites who are right beside of you. And then in a little bit down further in Leviticus 19, can you put the other text up there? He talks about how it's important to love the foreigners who are, um, who are living in your land. Treat them like native-born Israelites. Love them as you love yourself. There is this call uniquely, interestingly, in both the Old Testament and the New Testament to have this wide circle of love that doesn't find a place for excluding others. And yet, we know that it's hard to love, right? It's hard to love your neighbors. It's hard to love those sometimes who sit beside you. It's hard to love people who are far from you. About 10 days ago or so, a friend of mine on Twitter, somebody I followed, liked somebody else's tweet. And the tweet went something like this. And it's a kind of a pastor's joke, too. And this will, well, 
Anyway, it went something like this. Oftentimes as a pastor, when people find out I'm a pastor, and people I don't know, I find out I was a pastor. So I'm not saying this, but this is, this is somewhat true to form. Usually there's three responses. People will tell me about how great their church is, how they love it. They think it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. And even though I'm a pastor, they think I ought to come to their church. The second person grumbles about their church. There's nothing good about their church. They wish they didn't go to their church. You know, it's just, it's just horrible. And they tell me everything that's wrong with their church. The third person is somebody, when they find out I'm a pastor, then starts to apologize because for a long time in front of me, they've been swearing and cussing and saying all kinds of sundry things. There's some truth in that, you know. Unfortunately, this is the hard part of loving because I replied, it's generally person number three that's the most likable. <clears throat> loving your neighbor. Loving the person you're beside in the pew. Loving the person you live with. Loving the person who lives right beside you. Has its challenges. So what are we supposed to do with that challenge? How are we supposed to embark upon that journey? Because I don't think Jesus is just talking to us about some kind of aspiration. I think Jesus is actually expecting us to be people who love our neighbors and our enemies. I would suggest to you that the first thing that we have to do is we have to ask the Holy Spirit for love. That there is a love that God has for you and for me and for this world that we don't necessarily come with in our own nature. We are not birthed with from our mothers. We have to ask God and we have to ask the Holy Spirit to be poured out in our hearts in ways that we cannot fathom in our own mind, in our own natural humanness. We have to be people who rely on the power of God to do that work in our life and in our hearts. And there is no sense of behavioral modification. There's no sense of training. There's no sense of education. There's no sense of just getting it right. We naturally seek, just like all of the, the people who are lawyers within the scriptures, we all seek to justify ourselves. And unless the Spirit is poured out in our life, unless the Spirit is poured out in our life, that is unchanged. And so we will try and lift ourselves up above somebody else. But when the Spirit is poured out in us, there is the love of God that flows profoundly, profusely, transformatively. And I'm here to tell you, brothers and sisters, that you can be somebody who believes in Jesus, that he's the son of God. I'm here to tell you that you can say the Apostles' Creed with all of the depth of meaning that you can muster, and yet you can still be at a place where you've not received the fullness of the Holy Spirit to the place where you love your brothers and sisters and your enemies as God loves you. That isn't to say that God doesn't want to do it, that God isn't waiting for it, but I think there are places where he waits for us to say, I need it. Pour out your spirit in me now. 
So I've got a list of things that I think can help us, but the list is really useful or useless unless we ask for the Holy Spirit to give us the gift of God's love for our neighbor. In fact, I think right now we just ought to pause. And if you need to do that, if you need to do that right now, I just want to give you a second space. God, I need that. I need your Holy Spirit. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, um, somebody I've paid a lot of attention to in the course of my life. He was hanged in 1945 in the Flossenburg prison in Germany, a prison camp. The pastor, and he actually wrote a, a little book called Life Together that we kind of picked up on as the theme for our, our sermon series. And Bonhoeffer, in his book Life Together, in chapter 4, he's got a list of recommendations, things that can help us along the way in terms of loving our neighbor and loving our enemies. And just quickly, I just want to bring a few of Bonhoeffer's points in, in front of you because he's got, he's got some good advice about helps that move us down the road. You know, after we ask the Spirit, we can, there are some things that, some steps we can take because we work cooperatively with God. And so here are some of the things that Bonhoeffer says about how is it that we can come to a place where we love our neighbor and, and love our enemies. One of the things he says is we can express the ministry of holding one's tongue. Another point Bonhoeffer says is we can have the ministry of meekness. In your bulletin today, there's a note about jobs for life and about how they need mentors. Sometimes there's nothing so meek as sitting beside somebody else and hearing their story and recognizing that their story is impactful to you and your story is impactful to them because we recognize that we all walk the human road and we don't all have it figured out. There's a meekness that comes alongside in a space like that. After the ministry of meekness, Bonhoeffer talks about the ministry of listening. I was thinking about you when I was reading Bonhoeffer's commentary, because he's got all these bullet points, right? And then he's got some commentary underneath of it. I was thinking about the impact that grandparents have, because there's a lot of grandparents in this room. Think about how our world today needs people who can listen. Bonhoeffer wrote his book about 90 years ago. And look at this sentence that he says. He says, many people are looking for an ear that will listen. They don't find it among Christians because Christians are talking where they should be listening. 
Today, I don't know that we're talking so much, but I think many of us, and regardless of age, we have our eyes down into a phone or to a tablet. We need the ministry of listening. Many of you who are older, you've got, you've got young people around in your world and sometimes it's hard. You think, I don't know if they really want to interact with me or engage with me. Be of good courage. Be of strong heart. <clears throat> Look for ways to connect with those who are young in your own families. And when you connect, give the gift of listening. Give the gift of listening. Um, along the way in Bonhoeffer's lift, list is the ministry of helpfulness. <clears throat> As I read what he had to say about helpfulness, I, I also began to think about the story of Disney and Disney World. Um, Disney, the story of Disney and Disney World has shown up in a lot of leadership books. I don't know if some of you who've read a bunch of leadership books, you may know this, but one of the uh, passions about Disney that they look for within all of the people who work on staff, regardless of your station in life, is that you'd never walk by a piece of trash if it's on the park. You can be the CEO of Disney, you can be a vice president, you can be, you can be somebody who's just <clears throat> picking up the trash, but you'd never be a person who would work at Disney who would bypass a piece of trash on the, on the grounds. I think about how that just, that can be extended in so many ways, but the ministry of helpfulness, what they're seeking to do there is they're just trying to say in the most simplest of ways, it matters to be helpful to one another, to our guests, to those around us. The ministry of bearing, if the ministry of helpfulness is doing little things and doing little things well, Bonhoeffer says there's some point along the way where the autonomy of somebody else, the needs of somebody else, the desires of somebody else, so, so they should crash into our lives to such measure that we have to find that we have to surrender our own autonomy, our own sense of willfulness, that there are places where we need to hear what Paul says in, in the letter to the Galatians where we are called to bear one another's burdens and in so doing we'll, we fulfill the law of Christ. There are places, there are times along the way where we need to set aside ourselves and in setting aside ourselves we bear the challenges of somebody else. Bonhoeffer goes on to talk about the ministry of proclaiming. And here he says something interesting about preaching and pastors. He says, preaching is probably one of the most ineffect, ineffectual ways where we can proclaim the gospel or the good news of Christ. <clears throat> I'm not sure he thinks that pastors are ineffectual, but he, he may be. He may think like that. <laughs> but I think he's come to realize what many of you realize, that sometimes when you're sitting down with somebody and you're having coffee or you're face to face or maybe you're shoulder to shoulder and you're going on a trip together, that there are places where the conversation needs the truth of who God is or maybe the truth of who the person is. 
and a 30-second patch of words will proclaim something profoundly. And yet, it will take courage within you to say those 30-second patch of words. It will take courage from you and love from you to say, could I suggest that you see something a little differently? Because sometimes it would be easier to be silent. And not be silent like what Bonhoeffer talks about earlier. But just to be silent and not speak a word of truth. Because to say something that's true may bring things into the light. And to bring things into the light may cause the other person to want to run away. But love, love says there are times where I need to say something. I need to do that now. Finally, Bonhoeffer talks about the ministry of authority. <clears throat> and I've really been wrestling, even after reading what he writes, what is the ministry of authority? One of the pieces that he writes in there, he says, God doesn't need any superstars. There are lots of people who are willing to be superstars for God, but he says what God really needs is a sense of servants. People who are willing, like Jesus, to get down on their knee and to pick up a disciple's foot that's covered in all kinds of, of mud and junk and willing to wash it. And to say, this is how I express love to you, by serving you. Well, here at Schweitzer, <clears throat> um, we're a body, we're a people. Sometimes people could look at us and they could even look at this sanctuary, they could look at the places where we're at and they could think, we've got it all together. Things are pretty much in order. But I think the church, well, some people have described the church as like a hospital where there's a lot of people who are trying to figure out how to become whole. Or I like to think of the church as a laboratory. We try things, we don't always get things right. But we know that Jesus is calling us to love one another, to love God. And so how is it that we do this? How can we try this stuff out? How can we try and love people and fail and yet get back up and continue to strive and move forward? How can we do that? Well, we've got some things coming up, some things that you'll find in your bulletin, some things that I would just briefly draw your attention to. Group night is a great way to figure out how do I love my neighbor? It's a great way to sit around a table with people and to listen, to be quiet, to not talk so much, and yet to find those moments where we need to say something. It's just a, it's a great place of experimentation. Upcoming in, in uh, October, we're hosting a special day. We're calling it the Urban Summit. It really is a point of experimentation. One of the things that we want to do at the Urban Summit is we want to hear from other people around Springfield about things that are happening and happening well. It's a place of listening. And maybe it's a place of action. Maybe God will call some form of action out of that, that sense of listening. Or tonight, there's a, an event going on about be the mentor you wish you had, where David and I are going to talk about mentoring and seeing how mentoring can be a place where we come alongside, we walk alongside of other people. We really take the love of God 
and let God move us as we hear from somebody else, as we hear their story, as we pray with and for somebody else. And maybe there's something, maybe there's something that God would want to do and say through that relationship. There are lots of places, though, on this campus, in this community, in the world that we live in, the spaces that you live and the spaces where you move, way beyond here, where you need to know this. Jesus has a goal for each and every one of us. That we would be people who love one another, who love our neighbors, who love our enemies. And it's not just an aspirational goal. It's a goal that he really thinks can be fulfilled. It's a goal that he sets out in front of so many different people. In fact, on the night that he would be betrayed, in the night when he knew that there was somebody in their midst who would betray him, in fact, in the night when he knew that all of those who were gathered in the room would run for cover into hiding because they did not know what would happen to them. Jesus turned to them. Having courage in himself and having faith in the Father, he said these words, I'm giving you a new commandment. They would fail. Get this, folks. They would fail in just a few hours but he gave it to them anyway. A new commandment I give you. Love each other just as I have loved you. So you should love one another. And this is how the world will know that you're my disciples. When you love one another. Don't let failure stop you. Hear the call of God. To love your neighbor, to love your enemy, to love God as you love yourself. God, help us. God, help us. We need your help. Amen.